Thank you for the, uh, was the, <laughs> Bacon the Dave, eater. <laughs> yeah, the Dave's double. Um, who do you think wrote Letter to the Hebrews? <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Today we're discussing the readings for the Feast of the Holy Family. Remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, comment, share, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to ask us a question, we will answer it on the podcast. You can ask us by email, emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. But before we begin, an announcement from Father Torres. Yeah, so as we are coming to the end of 2023, entering 2024, uh, both Lee and I have some big projects ahead of us. And so I will not be a regular guest on the podcast. Um, I will come on as, uh, you know, different topics arise that interest me and, you know, just I'll I'll be around. (laughs) Um, But yeah, 2024 is a big year. I think for both of us. Uh, yeah, you know, the the I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes. Uh, for myself, I have a book coming out in 2025. I've been working on a fantasy uh, novel for a number of years now, almost approaching 10 years. And recently, I just landed a publishing contract. And so, uh, you know, the rubber's meeting the road. There's deadlines now with my editing, and so. Uh, this coming year, 2024, uh, I'm really buckling down with my writing. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I won't, you know, for, for people who uh, enjoy my comments, it'll be sad for people who don't. You know, it's a, it's a day of rejoicing, but. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be back. And I'll we'll, be back, we'll, yes. we'll have you on for, for different yes. things, different, uh, I guess, interviews or backstage stuff or, right. or like yeah. you know, casual conversations. Probably when Dune comes out. Yes. We should do something on Dune. Looking forward to that. Yeah. But yeah, d- but I just won't episodes. be a regular yes. um, yeah, right. addition right. to the podcast. So. Right. Yes. Uh, Father Torres is right. There's a lot that I have planned for basically related in the new year. Um, some additional content, uh, interviews, uh, kind of backstage stuff, my own musings, as well as keeping the, regu- the regularly scheduled readings yeah. and reflections. I'm going to keep those, but there'll be some other content added, a sub stack. Yeah. And I start writing on there. I'll be writing on there. Uh, I think I'll have a guest writer every now and then, a friend of mine, if you want to write on there. Yeah, you know, we no, about it's going to be an there. exciting time, I think. Uh, Alex so. and Elisa, you know, some of, our, some of our friends and family. So, yeah, that'll become a hub. But, yeah, basically related, will, my hope is, will become a hub of conversation for the local community. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And maybe beyond if it gets to that. But, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of big things coming in the new year. So stay tuned. Yeah, there, was, there was three there was two. Now there's one. Now there's no, <laughs> there's, there's, there, there, we're all still here. We all right. we all still participate yeah. in basically related. So yeah, it's not a goodbye forever. Exactly. We'll, we'll be around. <laughs> so do you want to hop into the readings? We'll, yes. We'll get into it. So we're discussing the readings for the Holy Family, the Feast of the Holy Family, and we're going to be looking at the readings for year B because it gets there's a few options. Yep. So. If you go to mass and the readings are a little bit different, I guess the, the priest has the option to Yeah, there's to a couple of options else. for readings, for first reading and uh, second reading. Right. The gospel will be the same throughout all of them, yep. coming from Luke chapter 2. But for us in year B, the first reading is coming from Genesis, and it's the promise to Abraham in Genesis, well, I guess... The first reading split into two parts. You have Genesis 15 and then Genesis 21. Right. So 15 is the promised Abraham. So the Lord appears to, <clears throat> to Abraham in a vision, says, Fear not, I am your shield, I will make you great. 
But naturally, Abraham kind of responds with, I, I'm childless. So how, if you're going to make my house great and give me all these rewards, how can that be if my wife is barren and I'm childless? So there was, in the Old Testament, and you see this everywhere in the Old Testament, fruitfulness, childbearing, big families are a sign of God's prosperity, or yeah. a sign of your prosperity is a sign of God's blessing. So God is saying, I will bless you, but Abraham's perhaps rightly or understandably saying, but I don't have any children. Right. So how he is actually, that possible? He says, you know, Abraham being uh, kind of rational, he says, you know, see, you have given me no offspring, offspring, and so one of my servants will be my heir. And so he thinks that this this uh, lineage, his lineage will come from his servants. Yeah. So, but the Lord says, no, that one shall not be your heir. Your it's, own issue shall be your heir. So. so he goes up and, or God tells Abraham to look at the stars, that classic saying too, that if you look at all the stars, that's how your descendants will be. And then it says, Abraham put his faith in the Lord who accredited it credited to him an act of righteousness. So, of course, this is a fraught verse <laughs> in the Christian world. It's, it's pregnant with a lot of meaning. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, on one hand, I, I partly want to get into the theology of it. And on the other, there's the theme, which is the Holy Family, the Holy family which right. doesn't necessarily have to do with the theology of it, necessarily, right. I would say. So, obviously, this is a... This is a line that is often quoted as, uh, even by Paul himself, that Abraham was deemed righteous by God apart from the works of the law. Right. So clearly, so the law is not the end-all, be-all of how one becomes righteous. Mm -hmm. So there's the theology of that, which maybe you can come back on. We can talk about that some other time. Yeah. But then there's, I think, the theme of the Holy Family, which is that Abraham is seen here as a man of faith, that he's putting his trust in God's word, that God said, despite what you see, despite your present situation, I've made you a promise and I, and I will fulfill it. And, mm -hmm. and Abraham is trusting that God, since God is, is, is worthy of belief and, and worthy of trust, that he will do as he says. Right. Which I think this theme of faith will be our motif of faith maybe will run throughout our readings because I mean I, I think faith is necessary throughout life and whatever vocation you're in but keeping it to the family it's very necessary for the family yeah because there are some serious hardships that happen in family life right that if you don't have faith it's I, all for I, nothing <laughs> I, yeah I'm yeah. not really sure how you know some people get through it without faith right so yeah and so I think so the yeah the parallels between Abraham's family and the Holy mm. Family I think are um, apparent uh, you know when when you have this pairing of this reading with with um, today's uh, feast day you have Abraham and Sarah and Sarah is barren all right she's not she's she's um, she's older and so Isaac is kind of seen as this miracle child mm. um, you know a, a sign that God's will will prevail, uh, even in the most unlikely circumstances, right? As the barrenness of a woman, and so you can see almost Isaac as a type of Christ, 
And it's through, just as through Abraham, he will ha uh, have many children uh, and his descendants will be as great as the stars. So too, through Christ, do we have a new community of faith as well, right? And so Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, parallel, parallels to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, uh, we see the start of a new community of faith, right? Um, yeah, whose descendants are like the stars. Yeah, exactly. You know, but in, in a different way. In a different way, right? One <laughs> one is more, one is very particular to um, Israel, right? The first, um, you know, and I don't know if we've, we've talked about the scandal of particularity, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is, yeah. this is where God wants to dwell. It's right. in Israel. Uh, it's not just like this um, immaterial, like uh, uh, theoretical dwelling, right? God is among us. He's like, no, this, these are my people, right? Uh, which naturally implies that some people are not part of that community, right? And right. So that's where, you know, the scandal can happen. And also how um, how imminent God is and how transcendent he is, like those two things seem to clash a little bit as well. Um, but anyway, um, so just as uh, God chooses to dwell among the Israelites in the Old Testament, Christ now dis, uh, chooses to descend among humanity. Yeah. Like that's his that's his dwelling place now. Um, is it, isn't that in Revelation where um, it says, Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. Yes. Right? Um, and so the human race is now kind of seen as a new Israel in a sense. So, Yeah, you also see the the idea of, of Christ as a descendant of Abraham, right? It's like from this yeah, one yeah. family comes the Messiah. Right. And I, I guess you could even say the this highlights the the importance of, of family in part as part of salvation history. Right. Yeah. It's like God does not kind of intervene through random individuals yes. or or individuals who they're um, almost like superheroes. Like they kind of have no connection. Almost like I don't know, like Melchizedek. You know, not every character of importance in the Bible is like Melchizedek. Right. Of like they just kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. They do something and then they disappear. Right. Right. It's like well, no, they're actually all part of. A family unit, and it's mm -hmm. and it's they build upon each other as descendants of one another, culminating in Christ. Right, you know? and and that's seen very clearly in the New Testament. As soon as you start the New Testament, it, it's really interesting because the 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 first words you read there are from Matthew, and it's the genealogy, right? And it's, right. so the emphasis I think there in, in introducing Christ is that he is tangible, like his lineage is tangible. He comes from a family. Yeah. Um, you know, you the the church could have decided to organize it with the Gospel of John, where the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, uh, and and with God. But I think, as Ratzinger rightly points out, that the historical has to take precedence over the um, the immaterial, right, yeah. or the mythological. Um, right. And that's I think that the family is a is a great symbol of that tangibility. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. No. It's it's through the family that God continually you know makes these promises. That eventually culminate in his in, will, yeah, right, yeah. In, in Christ. But yeah. I, I, oh, right. I do yeah. like the idea that it's it, like it's not it just random. Like I said heroes. I guess yeah. just to say, like it's like the heroes of this story right now are is a family, right, and not like I said it's singular individuals. I, I'm trying to think of where I read that before. Maybe it's it's also in Ratzinger, but this idea that it it's. Like the faith isn't built up by just singular heroic individuals yeah. doing their own thing and then 
kind of fading out of existence or becoming saints. And it's like, oh, well, look at what they did just for themselves right. or for everyone around them. Yeah. But it's actually that they were embedded in a larger community or narrative of, yeah. of family or church or whatever it is. Right, exactly. So it's it's through our it's through these kind of mundane just family life as we've talked about before yeah. that actually God works and yeah. builds up his you know, community. It reminds me of a um, quote by Chesterton. He's so quotable, so I'll bring up <laughs> Chesterton. Um, but he says uh, the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary wife, an ordinary husband, and an ordinary child. Yeah. Uh, and so it's that idea that like um, heroics and virtue are not necessarily um, best seen on the battlefield, right, or yeah. in glory. Yeah. Um, but it's the everyday mundane right. um, perseverance right. in the ordinary life. That's what is extraordinary, right? right. That's what kind of saves the world in a sense. So. Like that's that it does happen in the Bible and in church course, and in history, yes, of course. Right, right. But it's it, the average is actually just kind of the ordinary. Yeah. It's it's not these singular heroic individuals, but it's Abraham and Isaac. You know, it's, it's yeah. Abraham and Sarah. Just a family who's no, right. tr- putting their trust in God. And that's what, you know, this is maybe a little bit divergent, but uh, I do want to bring it up, is that, like, the best stories um, that I've come to love are, are stories that the hero is not always the one that just takes the sword and stabs the bad guy in the heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the best stories have the hero in a lot of, in a lot of, a lot of times failing. Like, you look at Luke Skywalker, like, he didn't, kill the emperor right it was his love of his father right talk about family like that connection with um uh, his father his love that allowed then love to conquer evil same thing with lord of the rings right frodo and his love for Gollum, that connection with him um that allowed providence to prevail um and then of course the archetypal story of christ himself he doesn't take a sword and conquer the world he gives himself right and so Right. I, I just the point is that the hero doesn't always um, just conquer like with a sword. Uh, it, there's there's love and simplicity in a hero's in a proper hero's life. So, yeah, it's anyway. like Abraham, in a sense, lays the foundation for the coming of Christ by just having faith in God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, yeah. Of course, there's a greater story to Abraham and right. And and Some, you know sometimes as, questionable activity and, and I think right <laughs> no but I remember I think it was Peterson in his biblical lecture series that um, pointed out uh, Abraham and and mapped him on to the hero's journey yeah right and said uh, you know he's kind of the 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 first uh, in Western civilization that uh, embarks on an adventure you know it was um, Abraham uh, God who said like get get out of your country you know and so you can see Abraham like partaking in this heroic journey. Yeah, which we're actually going to get to in the second reading. That's briefly mentioned. Oh, foreshadowing. Is, is, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, good. So, uh, anyway. Move on to the psalm. Yes. Okay, so the psalm is coming from 105, and the refrain is, the Lord remembers his covenant, covenant forever. Yeah. And I think that is exactly t- tied to our, our first reading, as it, as it usually is. Mm-hmm. But it's... It's remember. It's this idea that even though the covenant hasn't been, it seems as though God, you know, God has made a covenant with with um, Abraham, and the tangible effects aren't there yet. Like he doesn't have the land, he doesn't have the descendants, and he doesn't have the son. Like those are the three elements right. to. I think it's the twelfth chapter of Genesis where he calls 
where God calls Abraham yeah. and says, these are the three things I'll give you. And so long as I think, you know, Abraham does not have these things, but as the Psalm says, he kind of looks to the Lord to be his strength and constantly seeks his face. Mm. This idea of like constantly seeking God, even though these things haven't happened. And the Psalms being written much after the, the life of, of Abraham sings his praises as you, you know, you descendants of Abraham, his servants, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, the Lord, he, the Lord is our God throughout the earth. His judgments prevail. So it's in his own time, Abraham did not see this, but here a few generations later, here it is, is like, he's actually a hero. Yeah. Even right. though in his own time, he may have struggled. Right. And it's, I think what's underlined here is of course his faith, but also um, his hope as well. It's when you when you are constantly seeking his face, you're looking to the future, right? Not necessarily what's in the present moment, and that's like the the symbolism of his descendants is that it's through Abraham Abraham's faith that he is able to trust that God will fulfill His promise in the future. Um, you know, he's not going to see his descendants as great as this, you know, the stars. Um, but his belief in God um, asserts that for him, essentially. So, yeah, I think his hope there is really important. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the faith a little bit, because I think that's also, I haven't said it before, is a, a motif here of, of these readings. But St. John of the Cross calls faith darkness to the intellect. So the, mm. the intellect or the mind seeks to understand, and, but faith is this this part of the intellect that doesn't quite grasp everything in this right. in the same way you know there's and yeah. i think it can be i think faith as darkness can be misinterpreted as kind of like blind belief it's like even though my intellect says otherwise i'll have faith no right right belief. yeah no but it's just the way of knowing by faith is not the same as kind of discursive reasoning right. or logic or 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 um deduction or something right. like that. It's not contra reason, but it's um, like supra rational, right? right. Is, is how I've heard it described. Um, well, I mean, by your intellect in our first reading, Abraham was right. He said, yes. you have made a promise, but I'm not quite sure how my descendants are going to happen right. when I don't have a kid. Right. Like that's That doesn't seem possible. Exactly. But he's saying, but by faith, though, I know that there's something you can you can do. There's something I, I don't know, but I know it can still happen. Right. I don't know how, but I right. know it can still happen. And that faith is built on trust, right? That's that's essentially what's important here, I think, is that if you trust God, right, if you trust anyone, then what they tell you, you know, you can't analyze it like under a microscope, right? You can't say, well, you know, what you're telling me uh, I, you know, it doesn't um, make lo- logistical sense perfectly. So, you know, I don't know if I can believe you. Uh, just like with a relationship with anybody, you have to open yourself up to trust. Um, and again, like that's not contra rational. Um, it goes, it's something on another plane, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so because Abraham trusts God, um, his he's able to have faith in him. So Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The psalm ends with, he remembers forever his covenant, which he made binding for a thousand generations, which he entered into with Abraham and by his oath to Isaac. 
So this promise and this covenant will actually be fulfilled in the coming of Christ, mm -hmm. that he remembers it beyond even what he started with Abraham and Isaac, but that Abraham seems to be this foundation and that it was the faith of Abraham that actually allows for God in some sense to fulfill his covenant. Yep. You know, it's, um, I, I think if you, you, you've quoted Thomas Aquinas before saying this, what is it? The dignity of cause second causality right. or something, the, you know, the dignity of causality. Right. Yeah, so that exactly. God actually didn't fulfill this apart from Abraham, yeah. but through Abraham, right? Like allows Abraham to, to enter into and participate in salvation history. Yeah. And that's, that's so important to understand how God works. And I think it's, that's also connected to the scandal of particularity because, you know, God is powerful enough to just, you know, say something and it is so, right? Mm -hmm. But he chooses to work through individuals, through history. Um, why? That's a mystery <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But that's that's the way um, he chooses to, like, carry out his will. It's through tangible people, um, through history. So. Yeah, no, he, he could probably accomplish the plan cleaner and faster without us. Yeah. But it, in some mysterious way, he actually ask, asks us to yeah. join. And I think Thomas <laughs> would say, like, you know, it, this is a, a fitting way, right? There's a, yeah. there's a fittingness to the way that he's oh, yeah. chosen yeah, yeah. to carry out salvation history. So. No, that's that's true. That's the, the fittingness, yeah. as, as the scholastics Not say. Not necessary. Yeah. Just fitting. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> Maybe I should do a, a podcast on fittingness. That is an, it's an it's interesting, a fascinating to, It's like, an interesting topic. idea yeah. that the idea of God could do something easier and better, Yeah. but there's something about human nature and God's interaction with the world and our interaction with him that it's actually better that yeah. he does it. Yeah. Through us, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's all idea with the crucifixion, right? Like God, <clears throat> did God have to die on the cross? Right. Like, did Christ have to die? And of course, Thomas Aquinas and the Scholastics answer no, mm -hmm. but it was fitting. That's exactly. a, maybe maybe again. That's the topic. You can come on and talk about fitting. This yes, <laughs> Scholasticism, my my favorite topic. Yeah, no, know? no. There's I think there's a lot there. Um, the the idea of fittingness, but for another day. Another day. <laughs> so. Second reading? Yes. Yeah. All right. So we have our second reading from Letter to the Hebrews. The Hebrew, the Letter to the Hebrews is one of my favorite letters. It's it's very fascinating. Very very dense, too. Like, there's very, a lot yeah, there. Very dense. Yeah. We're not entirely sure who wrote it. There's some theories. Yeah. Uh, people, I think, uh, assume Paul, but, you know, in, in my Pauline class, you know, the style's different. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just, I don't it's know. it's okay. We're we're not going to get into Doesn't that. Doesn't matter. But it, yeah. it is a interesting note. If you have older Bibles, it will say uh, that Saint Paul wrote it. I is think that it, right? I think it's it's Paul's letters to the Hebrew. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's only kind of in the more like modern, like the NABRE, like the revised. Yeah, stuff it, like that. yeah. I would say kind of in light of historical critical method, and this okay. isn't bashing. No, sure, them. of course. Yeah. It, but it's just. I think kind of revising it, going back, having yeah. a little bit more, having more manuscripts and right. just more time since then. Yeah, yeah, of course. That, that we've kind of looked over and said, we're not quite sure who wrote it. It could have been Paul. It, yeah, exactly. It could have been. It's, he's not ruled yeah. out. Right. But anyway. Interesting. Just, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it is very interesting. I think. Because um, it's an anomaly, Hebrews. Yeah. You know, like it, it like not only just a style, but like um, 
it, it's not a letter. Is it a letter? Like, is it like? Well, it, some people seem to think it might be a. I should say some scholars, not like some some people. Some like, random. <laughs> My grandmother says that. Yeah, right. <laughs> the guy at the Wendy's across the street told me, you know. <laughs> I have to, there's some phrases I, I got to clean up. Like that. like some people. Like, what? Like what does that even mean? The guy at the Wendy's. <laughs> right. Did you know? I asked um, him. I said, "Thank you for thank you for the uh, was the, the Dave, yeah the Dave's <laughs> double. Um, who do you think wrote Letter to the Hebrews? No. Um, oh. Some scholars say it's a a homily or has sort of like this it was like preached yeah essentially interesting perhaps it was preached because if you look at it even from the beginning he's laying out an argument yeah as to why the audience who you know whoever that may be or whatever situation they may be in should believe in christ right and that's why because like what differentiates hebrews from uh, other letters from saint paul is that Paul's usually dealing with like a specific problem or addressing something specific in the community. Right. Whereas Hebrew seems like it's it's like a little detached from um, any like specific historical point in a specific community. Yeah. Right. It's more universal in that sense. Yeah. It has um, kind of this nature of like Neoplatonism. Inter- and then yeah, there's an right. argument yeah. of you know why Christ is superior to the angels, yeah. and then he goes on this big excursion on the Levitical priesthood yeah. and sacrificial system. A lot of lit- and, liturgy ideas there. Yeah, right. And so, yeah. it, you know, this isn't the letter to the Colossians where it's like, what's going on in the local community? Yeah. Some people believe this, some people believe that. It, it doesn't have any of that. It's getting, like, v- very particular. You could say yeah. he's addressing a particular issue, but it's the sacrificial system of Levitical priesthood. Right, yeah, so which is very, like, um, almost like philosophical slash theological. Right? Yeah. And so... It's, yeah, very interesting. And he goes into faith, like, you know, his understanding of what faith is. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. really unique among the um, other books of the New Testament. Yeah. So. so go check it out. Pick up a commentary. And, <laughs> Pick up a commentary. Or, in Hebrews. You know, <laughs> read through it. But our reading for today uh, talks about a little bit what we mentioned earlier, actually, which is by faith Abraham obeyed and he was when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was to go. So the the theme of faith that by God's command, his trust in God, he journeyed in a place where he had not gone. Right. That it was simply by by faith in God that he and trust in God that he he, he would receive the inheritance even if again the Facts were not present, as you were saying before. Exactly. Like the the logic was not presented to him of like, well, you're going to go here and there and there. Yeah. And that's what um, you can understand um, faith as a stepping out into the unknown. Yeah. Like that's totally. that's what faith. I know Bishop Barron has talked a lot about this, but he, he, he kind of labels faith as an adventure. Right. And so, you know, in, in this, like when we talk about archetypes and the hero's journey, uh, you know, when our Lord says to Abraham, go to a place that I will show you, uh, you're stepping out into the unknown. That's kind of what faith is within the soul. Um, like intellectually, you're stepping out into the unknown. Like mm-hmm. there's a darkness there that reason cannot grasp. Um, and so your mind, in a sense, or your soul with faith um, embarks on this journey. Yeah. Right? Uh, so. yeah. I like that image a lot, um, applying it here. If if you put your faith in God, you will go to a place you do not know. Yeah, exactly. Like he will take yeah. you places that you 
you don't right. know. And you can label that as an adventure. Yeah, so. right. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think every every adventure ha- has an unknown element. Otherwise, it's not yeah. an adventure. Right. <laughs> right. And that, like, right, that's interesting to, to look at, too, is that every story that you might admire and the heroes, um, if they were not people of faith, they would stay at home yeah. and no story would take place. <laughs> right. right. So, right. yeah. Exactly. It's like it, it has to have this element of faith and unknown. Yeah. Stepping exactly. out into the unknown. Exactly. So I think that's what partly what St. John of the Cross is getting at is if you've gra- if your intellect can grasp it and understand it, then it can't be unknown. It's not faith. It's not well it's, yeah, it's not it's not unknown. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah. the the intellect seeks to know. Yeah. But faith is kind of calling you to step out into the unknown. Yeah. So that's kind of why it's darkness. Right. It's, you're, you're, it's asking you to go beyond what you think. And there's is an possible. element of vulnerability there because there's an, you know, implicit. You're impl- implicitly, you're saying, I do not know, mm-hmm. and I and I must seek right to find. Um, it, you know, I think people who are just you know puffed up with their own intelligence um, or or think that they know enough, like oh I don't need to learn that. It's like well you're shutting your mind off to adventure. You're setting you're shutting yourself off to adventure. Um, and it, really, it's a little anti-faith <laughs> to yeah. do to do that. So yeah, totally. So the letter to the Hebrews goes on. In the greater context of this passage that we have from our readings, it he's going through the author's going through the heroes of faith. So there's a number of right. people that he says these are exemplars of of faith, and Abraham is is this because he went to a place. He was called by God, and he went to a place he didn't know to receive an inheritance. He also received, by faith, it says he received the power to generate even though he was past the normal age. Yeah. And then makes a a note here that Sarah herself was sterile. Yeah. So he's he's considered a, a exemplar of faith because God said, I will give you a son despite the facts that he was very old and his wife was barren yeah. and couldn't have children. And so it says that there he gave, you know, by faith, God re- kind of, I guess in a sense, rewards him with an heir, with Isaac. Yeah, it's this, um, this whole passage is, it's very clear that uh, the author, whoever that is, is underlining Abraham's faith. He mm-hmm. uses this um, phrase three times. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he received power. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. And so these are mm-hmm. all examples within Abraham's life of how he was the father of faith, essentially. Yeah, right, as as he's called. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that, but you're right. This By faith, obeyed. He went out to a place. By faith, he received the power. Mm-hmm. And then it says here, our last one, which is by faith, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. And who he had received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, your descendant shall bear your name. Yeah. Now this this gets uh, this is a very intriguing part of letter to the Hebrews because this last part here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about it. It it expands upon or, or gives commentary to the binding of Isaac, the Akida mm-hmm. of Isaac, yeah. where. He, Abraham is called to offer up his only son, and he he does so, or he's about to do so. Yeah, but it is, as letter to the Hebrews points out, it's an odd thing because he said through 
this son through Isaac, you will receive descendants. But now you're saying to offer him up, to kill him, to sacrifice him. How's that possible? So it says here that he, Abraham, reasoned that God was able to to raise even from the dead, and he received Isaac back as a symbol. Yeah. That's super deep. <laughs> I think <Yeah. laughs> um immediately I'm I'm thinking of um the resurrection of Jesus. Um this is I think a little nod to that, where God promises that it's through Isaac that he will be among his people. And and yet he's saying, Sacrifice your son. And so Abraham's faith is so powerful that it gives him this vision to see into the future almost. <laughs> um, and he, his trust in God is so strong that he, when he says, when, when this author says, Hebrews says, he reasoned that God was able to raise even from the dead and he received Isaac back as a symbol. I think what's going on is that he is understanding how God would work even in unlikely circumstances. And, you know, I'm thinking of like the apostles you know, who, when Christ was, um, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, they all lost faith in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. They ran away, all except John, uh, and then he was crucified. You know, they if they had the faith that Abraham had, then they would have said, well, then, you know, if if he was the promised one, then... Therefore, I would reason that God was able to raise even from the dead, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. man. Right. Um, right. And so, I, yeah, I think what's so there's obviously a a type, right, a, a symbol of uh, Isaac and Christ here. Um, you know, and yeah, it, I think also that it's also highlighting um, Abraham's immense vision that he has through faith. And he's even gra- glimpsing at things that are to come. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, really, I mean, that, that's just a sign of, um, it's a sign of his knowledge of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so. that, that's what's really highlighted in the, like I said, the, the greater context of Hebrews 11 is that these are exemplars of faith because of this, that they saw yes, yeah, yeah. from afar and yet believed, you know, yeah. kind of, again, he journeyed into a land he did not know. Symbolically, he was able to see into the land of the, under, and, 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 so he saw his promise from afar. He saw the yeah. land from afar and knew that that was his inheritance and that God was going to give it to him. Um, also, I, th- I believe it's the Gospel of John where Christ says, Abraham kind of saw my day or whatever, He's, and he greeted it from afar. Mm, yeah. So this this image of of faith as something that sees beyond the like horizon, you know, just your kind of immediate horizons. Yeah. I think often... The story of Abraham and Isaac and his sacrifice is sort of like blind obedience. I think that's kind of yeah. how it's said that, you know, God said, sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, okay, like if that's what you want, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, even though it kind of contradicts what I think Yeah, to be true. There's just so much there. I mean, I, I know um, Kierkegaard has his... Um, Great explication of yeah. this in Fear and Trembling, I believe, is the text I think that, that's right. that explains Abraham's faith. Um, I remember studying Kierkegaard a little bit, and we read passages from that. This idea of suspension of the ethical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it, his faith in God was so strong that, uh, like, even 
even like the simple um, like moral maxims of like thou shalt not kill was suspended mm-hmm. for for Abraham because of his trust in God. Uh, you know, if you if you read that story in its entirety, you notice that Abraham is very silent as this is going on too when mm-hmm. he's about to sacrifice Isaac. Um, words are a sign of rationality, right? Like if you were to um, if you were to try and rationalize with God, like, well, okay, you promised this, how how can I do this? That's a sign that maybe your trust is not as perfect as it should be. Um, I won't get into Kierkegaard's idea too much, mainly because I'm not as comfortable with it. <laughs> um, that might be a conversation with professors Elisa and Alex. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they're 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 pretty well versed in Kierkegaard, especially Alex. But anyway, um, I, I know that Kierkegaard does have great insights into this whole um, idea of Abraham's faith. Yeah. So yeah. I'll have to look more into that. But it, it's interesting that they're. I think Kierkegaard has a different take on it, but I think some others have a take of that it was kind of contra. Uh, it was it was against Abraham's reason that he you know he's like just again just just do it. I right. I told you kind of the divine command theory. You know I, right, I told right. you to do something, so you do it. Right. But here, yeah. the letter to the Hebrews seems to kind of comment on it and say that it was that he actually reasoned and and yeah. and like. Uh, you know, I think he also had faith, but there was this idea, though, that it wasn't just this pure act of, well, I guess if you say so, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But more of this, all right, I have been given many things already. Like I've seen with the eyes of faith that God can do things that are impossible. Mm. So perhaps, again, he will do something impossible. Yeah. That's... um. Uh, that's a powerful personal reflection. <laughs> no, but like in yeah, our own no, faith yeah. journeys, I think, uh, you know, whenever we're confront- confronted with something in our lives that requires immense faith, a good practice would be to look back, right? Look back, like, how has God brought me here now? And what has he done in my life uh, where I thought, you know, it was the end, but, you know, by through faith and, and through God's power, like, I'm here, right? Um uh, yeah, that's just, I think that's a good personal practice just to remember what God has done in your life yeah. to continue on in your faith journey. So. Yeah, because you're saying here, I I was given, it was impossible that I should have a son, but I did have him. And now God is asking me to put this son who is the promise to death. So perhaps there's something else yeah. going on. And that's that's the uh, that's why he, he earns his spot in the, the halls of, Faith. <laughs> also, uh, here's a faith. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yep. it's also peculiar that he he says what we have here translated as he received Isaac back as a symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yes, right. It's, Isn't that interesting? It's yeah. not um, in in the Greek. It's there is a Greek word for symbol. It's symbolo. Yeah, of, you know, pretty pretty simple. Pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> standard. But in the Greek, it's it's actually the word for parable. Really? Yeah, it's, it's parable. Uh, Parabole, I think it is is how. So it's like he would receive Isaac back as a parable. That's really interesting. And, and well, and that, I, I which can be that, a symbol, but right. And I, I don't know. I wonder if that supports like this, like that idea that I I just kind of um, explained a while ago, uh, a little bit ago about like Isaac as a symbol for Christ, right? Like yeah. a story of Christ, um, his death not really being the end of him, but. You know, he would raise he would ra- raise him for the dead so that he can be the father of many nations. Yeah, uh, and so you you can read that like this whole story. You can kind of read it as a parable to 
the coming story of Christ. In a yeah, sense. right, so, right, right. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that's that's really true. It's like he would die and then receive him back from the dead. Yeah. And that would be a parable. Yeah. Of like a, a story of something else coming. Right. But yeah. Of which he didn't quite know, but he had a glimpse at. Because I I don't I'm trying to remember I. Wow. I don't. I don't think that there's a story about raising of the dead prior to this. Is there? In the or, Old or, Testament? Yeah, or I should say, yeah. I'm trying to remember, but I don't. No, I not, not that I can immediately think of. I'm I'm not a. I'm not the greatest scholar or expert in Old Testament because um, resurrection I'm tra- stories. I don't know. Yeah, the re- <laughs> I don't know <laughs> because I feel like now, kind of act after the resurrection, it's like, oh yeah, like the resurrection of the dead. And right. When Jesus raised a few people from the dead. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's possible. But I'm trying. If you think of it just in its immediate context, would Abraham have had evidence of the resurrection of the dead? Well, like, and this is in Genesis too. This is so early on, yeah. right? That I don't, I don't think so. Right. That's when. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So it's like this is faith has given him immense vision, imme- immense <laughs> yeah. vision and knowledge. Yeah. Right. Like again, it's not against knowledge, but beyond that, yeah. raising of the dead is not a natural event. Yeah. It's not something you grasp. But for Abraham, he did believe. Yeah. That perhaps. God could do something even like that, right? And like you said, like that, like his reason was based off of his knowledge of how God acted before. That his wife was barren, and yet, like that place of sterility was the seedbed for life. Yeah, and so he's like, well, if yeah. if that impossible case can happen, then what other impossible things can God do? Can right. he even raise people from the dead? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like the final say, he can even overcome that. And it's yeah. Like, if God has made barren, the you know the barren fruitful, perhaps he can make life from death. Yeah, kind of thing, so and and like the idea of um, Abraham's uh, descendants um, going on forever is also kind of a image of immortality as well, right? like that yeah. Abraham will endure forever. Um, and so there's there's a sense of uh, like eternal life in the face of. What we would know to be corruption and death, yeah, um, even there. So, yeah. So I think through this story of of Isaac, God was trying to teach a greater truth, yeah. and that's what I think Letter to the Hebrews is, is getting at is is a uh, the the he's he's this this hero of faith because of of these these other two moments that we talked about, but then this final moment where he says God can do the impossible. Yeah, so, exactly. Which. We've actually heard about leading up to Christmas, you know, with uh, the Annunciation and such like that, with all things will be possible for God. Yeah. You know, so, you, again, you have the analogy. I guess we can switch into the gospel and talk about this. So we'll talk about the gospel. But okay. yeah. the idea that you were you were talking about of Abraham and Sarah as a type of Joseph and Mary, again, Mary wasn't barren, but she was a virgin Yeah. who... Conceived, and, and she also asked, like, "How can this be that I'll bear a child?" Since right. I know not man, and that's when Gabriel says, "Nothing will be impossible for God." Right. So, so yeah. he, you know, he believed, or you know, by faith, Abraham believed that the barren could, can, you know, could actually become fruitful. Yeah. And then, like, and again, by faith, we believe that a, a virgin can conceive. Exactly. You know, but yeah. So. Yeah, in in the gospel we have the the presentation of Jesus in the temple. Yes. So we we have Mary and Joseph. We have Simeon. Simeon and, uh, is Anna in here too? Anna. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
um yeah you get these like really cool like mythical figures of like these prophets right like yeah, yeah. Tell, telling mary and joseph like who this child will be um you know if you if you like uh, epic fantasy like this is kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> like these two old mysterious figures in a temple prophesying about this com- like this child right yeah it's, they well they have the um the like wizard archetype yeah <laughs> a, little, a little bit i don't know it's it's something really interesting with these characters going on so Anyway, you want to dive into it? Yeah, let's. Well, we can we can do that. So, they they take Jesus to the temple for the purification according to the law of Moses. This was, um, I think, in Leviticus, talks about after, um, after childbirth, woman waits seven days. On the eighth day, yeah. the boy is con- is consecrated, and then I think the mother waits another forty days after that. Right. Um, but Luke actually, yeah, Luke. Highlights this is every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord, and to au- and to offer the sacrifice of you know a pair of turtle doves or two young p- pigeons according to the dictated law. So that whole that the offering they give is is the poor offering, yeah, like the poor people's offering. I've the, heard those, that, yeah, those who can't afford it. So Luke is highlighting here Christ's poverty, which is a a theme in in the Gospel yeah. of Luke. The idea that Christ comes for the poor, right. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned this in um, our Christmas episode, but how uh, how Christ is not is not Mary and Joseph's son in the same way that, like, normal people are, mm-hmm. uh, their parents' child. Uh, there, there is a sense of Christ belonging more to God than to his family, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and I I made that point with um, uh, the angel Gabriel telling Mary what she shall name her son yeah. instead of her, um, allowing her to name her child. Uh, but I feel like this presentation in the temple kind of solidifies this idea that Jesus is God's son. Yeah, it's it's Mary and Joseph giving him up, right? In a sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's also symbolized by their sacrifice, uh, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Um, uh, them giving everything that they have. Like, this is my child, uh, symbolized by the giving of m- more, <laughs> of like, you know, pigeons or tur- turtle doves. Um, and now he's in God's hands. And yeah. this is like where Christ is consecrated as, like, outside, like, not belonging to the family, but of, you know, to God. So, yeah, it, it, it continually highlights the fact that Christ came not as a man of power and majesty or a man of, of myth, kind yeah. of, of overthrowing kings. But an obedient tra- man. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah, exactly. in the traditional or the mythological sense of power, he has rejected that, instead comes as an infant to a poor family. Yeah. So the first figure, so they come in, they offer the sacrifice, but the first figure we see is Simeon, who is described as righteous and devout and awaiting the consolation of Israel. And so the Holy Spirit, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the Holy Spirit was... Yeah. so. Yeah, I want to get to that. So th- he was righteous and devout. So again, we still have the the kind of motif here uh, that was p- first picked up with Abraham right. of, of being a righteous man. Yeah, then you have the righteous man of Simeon and then even Joseph there as well. Mm-hmm. So a righteous man is one who keeps the law and I think has faith in God. So as we see, the, he is a man who who believes that what was what was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit will come true. Right, but it's 
kind of interesting that it says here that the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death and everything. Yeah. And it's like, well, I thought the Holy Spirit hasn't come, but, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so like there's yeah. this, That's this idea that's like the Holy Spirit is, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't look this up in, in Greek, so maybe it's like, it's not the same idea. Well, right. And but, so Luke is writing this, of course, after the descent of the Holy Spirit upon right. the apostles. And yeah. so maybe he's mapping on like the actions of the whole, not, not arbitrarily. Yeah. But he's yeah. like interpreting these events as like, this is God working throughout the world and this is how the spirit works and this is how Christ yeah. has worked in history. And Right. Well, that's what I'm wondering if there's... I'm excusing Luke. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's what I'm wondering. Is, it, is there sort of like the formal Holy Spirit that descends mm-hmm. on in Pentecost, right. or is there sort of the vague Holy Spirit that works throughout history? Right, because that's kind of in the hearts. Yes, of, like the Holy Spirit is yeah. in the hearts of every devout person throughout history. Isn't one of the you Eucharistic know? prayers at Mass um, calls the Spirit of Christ the Holy Spirit? Um, I, I and I, I think it's Eucharistic prayer three, like uh, that he has. Um, I can't remember the words, but I, I remember it, like the phraseology there is kind of like, like Christ, like Christ has yeah. given up His Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, and so right, and like that's not. I don't know if that's like literally talking about the third person of the Trinity. Yeah, as 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 much as it might be considering the Spirit of Christ as holy. Yeah, yeah right. Just, it's like yeah. What, yeah. what is the Spirit of God? Yeah, the Spirit of Christ. Right. It's like, are, is that the Holy Spirit, or are you saying something? different right um, right anyway that's an aside just kind of to, to yeah yeah to cloud this even more right, so. <laughs> right. not to stir the pot but yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I guess i kind of i've just interpreted as in general like the spirit of of god right kind of like the, like the prophets like they prophesy by the spirit right? right it's not their own power right right it's like it's is, is the holy spirit helping prophets prophesize and yeah. it's like Yes and no. Yes by inspiration, but mm-hmm. in the formal sense, no. Right. But, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, that's that's one to go with. I'm sure there's a scholastic somewhere that has an answer for that. Like the the distinction between the two, you know, of like God's formal spirit. Yeah. That's, but anyway, we'll, but, but I'm not a scholastic, so yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> that's um. Well, yeah, I guess. If you continue on a little bit further, it says he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. So maybe that's the answer right there. Um, and when the parents had brought the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took the child into his arms and blessed God, saying. So this is where we get the song of Simeon. The, yeah. The canticle. The right? canticle of Simeon that we say every. Compline. Every Compline, every yep. night in, for the, the divine office. Yep. Some pieces of note here are a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So this is also a big motif in the Gospel of Luke is the Gentiles' incorporation in the divine plan now. Yep. But also the fulfillment of Israel. Yeah. So it's not a rejection of of Israel. It's the glory of your people. So Christ is is the, the thing that they've been waiting for, but also now— there's been an unveiling to the Gentiles that they are part of this plan. Yep. That they will be incorporated. I think next week we have, next Sunday, we have the Epiphany, which it will be the the light of the Gentiles. Right. You know, 
literally they'll follow the magi the, light. That the foreign kings yes, right yeah right. exactly that they will follow a light that will reveal to the gentiles kind of the, the magi are the symbolic of the eastern world yeah. or the the gentile world all peoples all yeah. peoples so there yeah they're, they're, that's the the main just kind of bulk of what Simeon is saying is that there's a complete fulfillment yep. of the father's of the father's plan yeah um, the salvation in the sight of all all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So it's not like uh, the Gentiles are replacing um, right. the Israelites. It's in addition to, like, incor- like you said, incorporating all peoples into one. So. Right, right. So then Mary and Joseph are amazed about what's said to him, but Simeon has a, a prophecy for Mary. It says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts will may be revealed. So pretty epic. Yeah, you have this <laughs> beautiful moment, and then a little bit of a somber moment. So yeah. I, I don't know if it's a commentary on glory and the passion are all yeah. are always kind of connected, right? One one to the other. And that's this is where we get the image of the immaculate heart of Mary with the sword in her heart, right? Yeah, right. Um, and you yourself, a sword will pierce. So the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's, yeah, that's interesting. The thoughts of many hearts may re- be revealed. But it's the, um, the sign of contradiction, or the sign that will be contradicted. Which is the cross, right? The, it's Yeah. Is that yeah. what he's getting? Yeah, because... Well, yeah, I think it could, it could be many things. Sure, you know, right. But I, I think you're yeah. right perhaps mainly the cross because this is more of a like passion announcement yes more than right exactly um right because it's it's through the cross that israel falls and rises (laughs) Uh, right it's like the belief in 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 christ crucified um and to be a sign i'll be contradicted is a sense like you know as as paul says it's a foolishness to the to the greeks right Mm -hmm. and um and it's it's at the foot of the cross where I think Mary, um, her fiat is finally fulfilled, yeah. uh, and that her heart is most pierced in the image of the Pieta, um, and all of that I think is you know when he says the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, the idea that like this is the fulfillment of like everything at at, at the at the crucifixion, like everything's unveiled in a yeah. sense, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that that's a. A peculiar phrase, but the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Yeah, I'm thinking it's of like, like the um, the tearing of the the veil in the temple. Um, mm. There's a lot of just um, like a, a, there's a lot of revelation at at, at the crucifixion. Um, that's where like God's love is fully shown. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's a packed phrase. Like I. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the that many people will also share in this, or there will be many people mm-hmm. that have harbored different thoughts yeah, or something that right. will be spilled out right. metaphorically. But yeah, I'm, I'm not, I, it's, it's a puzzling line that I've, I've, I've I don't know if I've ever quite grasped, grasped, yeah. but then again, there Maybe are many things not, like that. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so, not meant, you're not meant to grasp it. It's, yeah. meant, it's supposed to grasp you. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's it. <laughs> Well, even all of it's like the sign of contradiction, the the sword piercing the heart and the thoughts. It's like it's um, 
Very symbolic. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, it's yeah. all and it's all very peculiar. It's like what exactly it means, and you can interpret it, I think in a variety of different ways. The sign of contradiction is just like God is always a sign that contradicts, like most human, like twisted human desire. Yeah, you know most. You know, he's the thing that puts limits on freedom, and that's you know. re- yeah, that's really interesting, actually. So if you take out this um, part uh, that says, "and you're and you yourself a sword will pierce," um, and you just connect, uh, it says, "This child will be destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign, I'll be contradicted, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." I'm reminded, oh. I'm reminded of um, Tolkien, who said, "At the gospel stories, um, you either." accept it on its own terms and accept the story of Christ or you reject it and that rejection leads to wrath or ruin. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he was very dramatic in his writing. Um, but the idea is that like this sign will reveal whose side people are on, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, it, it's, grammatically, I guess you could, because it is almost like in parentheses, like, yes, oh, and also. Yeah, right. It's... Um, but you're, I think that's that's good to take to take that part out for now, and just go with the sign that will be contradicted, so that the hearts of many, we'll the thoughts of many hearts yeah. will be revealed. You're right. It's it's a looking upon the cross is when it's it's a very visceral sign. I mean, yeah. even today, although yeah. although yeah. we it's softened a little bit. Yeah, it's softened yeah. a little bit. But there still are people that are offended by yeah. crucifixes. Yeah. You know, right, and, exactly. and I, I'm not just talking about you know kind of pro- the divide of Protestant Catholic, but I'm but just secularly, pe- yeah, yeah. yeah There's just people that don't like the sight, so- like the sight of crucifixes, right? And there's some people that when they see them, they immediately say, "Oh, that's a Christian, that's yeah. a Catholic." And you know, that's the central um, question that the Gospels are asking: is who is Jesus Christ? Right? Yeah. Who is he? And you know, I- I've heard it said that once a person is confronted with Christ. Uh, if you do not accept him, you will be Christ haunted for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there is a sense that because he, Christ is the fulfillment of every human longing, he's going to haunt our minds. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. And so maybe that's that. Maybe that's what he's getting at here: that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed in the person of Christ, especially in his final act on the cross. So. Yeah. No, I, I think that's. I think that's right. Yeah. We're, we're gonna. Well, at least one interpretation. <laughs> yes. we'll, say, we'll say that at the very least. Um, and then, yeah, from there we get the the pro- prophetess Anna, mm-hmm. who was advanced in years and lived in the temple day and night. Says, but worshipped day and night with fasting and prayer. And she gave gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were waiting the redemption of Israel. Yeah, this is <clears throat> your your devout your devout church lady. Yes. Well, I was, I was actually thinking about that. Like, Anna here doesn't seem like a an important character in the grand grand scheme of things, and yet she's mentioned. Like, Luke takes time to mention her. Um, perhaps it's fitting into that theme of like you know what we talked about earlier: the simplicity of family life. Like, she was just doing her part mm-hmm. well, right? And she stayed faithful to God. Um, you know, never left the temple, worshipped day and night. And then pointed to Christ, mm-hmm. and that was enough, right? right like yeah. that gave her a legacy, right? Yeah, yeah um, no, that's <laughs> so. Um, that's true. Yeah, like you know, don't don't doubt the simple um, acts of perseverance in your prayer and 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 daily life. No, yeah, that's very true. Because 
the the full saying or the full mention of her is that she had been married for a few years, but had died without children, mm-hmm. and she was a widow until eighty four. You know, but she never left the temple. Yeah, and you're right. It's it's she kind of used her time well. I guess it said yeah. you know I I I'm a widow now. I don't, I I don't have children, so I will you know dedicate my my time to fasting and prayer and watching for the coming of Christ. Yeah. Which, yeah, you're right, is a symbol kind of of all of us now. Like mm-hmm. she was doing it without maybe even knowing that Christ was coming. Right, yeah. I mean, Simeon, maybe Simeon had told her. You right, know? <laughs> like, they were friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had <Right>. ideas. <laughs> exactly, because he's like, hey, like I was revealed to me, so right. if you hang out here, maybe you'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for for us, though, that Christ has already come, she is still a model of, of fasting and prayer and watching yeah. for that day. In whether it's the day or a metaphorical day yeah, exactly. of the coming of Christ. Yep. Any last thoughts? Any additional thoughts? Um, no. So right, and then you know, just to cap off the scene, yeah. <laughs> the gospel passage. Oh right. Um, oh. Right after all this had taken place in the temple, they returned to their own town of Nazareth, uh, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him, and thus takes. You know, this is like the, the silent life of the Holy Family. Yep. Um, you know, according to tradition, Jesus uh, stayed with them until he was 30. Uh, and it was only the last three years of his life where he had public ministry. Right. Um, and so. Right. Yeah. yeah we, the, we enter into the, the hidden years. Yeah. Which is, again, I think a fitting cap to the Holy Family of all families in general are kind of participate in that hidden life. Yeah. Of Christ. Like yeah. The things that, you know that are done that are very necessary and important as we've highlighted with Abraham but yet are not always seen as heroic at least yeah. they're not heroic in the traditional sense of everybody seeing what you're doing yeah there's it's, um a really um neat book by Michael O'Brien called Theophilus um i read it years ago uh, it's been a while but uh essentially it's it, it's a fictional uh, it's a novel uh and so it's an a fictional account of um, uh, Luke's, um, who he addresses his, you know, gospel and um, acts to. Uh, Michael O'Brien um, imagines Theophilus as Luke's um, adopted uncle, mm-hmm. uh, and Theophilus in the book is very um, skeptical about what Luke is up to, um, and he's worried about him, and so he travels to see Luke, um, and eventually ends up in Nazareth. And he uh, wants to see for himself who this person of Jesus is. And so he asks people in Nazareth about Christ. And all there is, there's a lot of just flashbacks. And so you get some, um, uh, these fictional uh, accounts of Christ's private life. And what Michael O'Brien imagines, which is very um, insightful, I think, is that um, whoever the Lord was uh, interacting with in that small town of Nazareth, uh, he was essentially uh, validating their simplicity of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes up to simple people that are just like bricklayers and like very, very again, simple people. And he says, like, this is how you will glorify God, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, essentially, again, not only validating their lives, but I think Michael Bryan is pointing to validating the uh, dignity of a simple life. Yeah. Right. Uh, we both were recently watching Lord of the Rings, right? And yeah. that's a quote from Bilbo. Yeah. There's no small thing to, um, what was it? There's no small thing to celebrate a simple life. Yeah. 
Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Bilbo, the prophet. Yeah. And I think that is the theme of, of, of why we have, you know, kind of the holy family yeah. of this idea that simplicity is not at odds with heroic virtue. Yeah, at times. right, yeah. It's just, it takes on a different form. Yeah. And as many writers have said, both secular and religious, that it's the building block of civilization. It's yeah. the vital cell. You know, it, I think I forgot to bring it, but I guess I could look it up. But the the office of readings for that day, um, I think it's, it's a Pope Pius. It's, it's one of the popes that he kind of writes on the school of Nazareth. It's yes. a place of silence, yeah. a, place, a place of prayer, right. a place of training for virtue. Yeah. And again, I, I think it, the idea that it's kind of the seedbed is a perfect image because it's something that grows quietly and silently yeah. and then kind of sprouts up one day. Exactly. But those, yeah. are, those are my last thoughts. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Thank you again for listening. Um, we'll be back next week. <laughs>